On this edition of Magic Pod Squad, presented by Kia, we catch up with Magic head coach Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford just led the Orlando Magic through the most unusual season in NBA history. So we recap what life was like inside the NBA bubble. It's also a critical time in our nation. Steve Clifford touches on the importance of getting out and voting in the November election. We also give you an NBA Finals preview. One guy Steve Clifford is very familiar with, Dwight Howard, is searching for his first NBA championship. So a great preview there. And also what's next for this Orlando Magic organization? What guys need to do to get ready for next year and what he will be working on in regards to next season. So lots to get into on this terrific edition of Magic Pod Squad presented by Kia with head coach Steve Clifford. This is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The host of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. And this podcast is presented to you by the all-new Seltos SUV from Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic. Give it everything. It is Magic Pod Squad, and we're pleased to be joined by the head coach, of the Orlando Magic. He's one of the four people that are not in their car currently. So we all get to... <laughs> You don't get this Cliff, you don't get it's great to talk to you. You don't get this kind of professionalism with every podcast, do you? This is pretty nice operation here. Yeah, we're balanced. I mean everybody has a different setting and which will lead to maybe probably more well rounded perspectives. So I think it'll it'll be it'll be an interesting time. Can I can I ask George, did you automatically put your seatbelt on when you walked, got in your car? No, I didn't. Now, now the reason, <laughs> now, now the reason I'm in my car is because there's, there's, I didn't realize I was in the middle of middle school band practice in my house and I couldn't find a sure. quiet spot. So the quietest spot around is my car. So we're making it work. I'm not in my Kia Seltos. Well, we got to work on that. We got to work on that. No, your reception would be much better in your Kia Seltos. <laughs> I think that. I think that would well obey all the traffic laws, George. That's all we ask. Cliff, uh, we appreciate you taking the time here, and we got a lot to get to, and it's always fun to catch up with you. But first thing you did when you got out of the bubble, did did you catch up with JT for a walk yet? What what are some of the things you did right when you got out? Yeah, we went for a walk. I think sure we did. A few days later, um, but uh, nah, you know, just uh, I, I think the one thing that happened is. You get out of the bubble and then it hits you that nothing's changed, unfortunately, you know, in our, in our world. So, um, whereas uh, one of the challenges with being in the bubble was it was very restrictive. Uh, in the, the league did an incredible job, but it was very restrictive. But after like a day or two days back here uh, in Winter Park, you realize that, uh, you know, our world is very restrictive right now, too. So, um, you know, you have more freedom here than we had there, but it's still obviously not like what any of us would uh, were hoping for. Well, Cliff, we had our first presidential debate last night, and, and I know you've been active the, the last couple of weeks, last month, the importance of voting. I, I know the census comes to a close here on Monday, October 5th, so it's important for everyone to fill that out. Um, but the, the voting initiatives you've done, getting together with Desmond Mead on Desmond Mead Day and some of the visits that you made, his story is incredible, getting to cast his first ballot in 30 years and then turning Amway Center into uh, an early voting site. Just, those are both initiatives you've been heavily involved in. Can, can you just kind of touch on both of those for us? 
Yeah, well, I, I think first of all, on the on the census piece, which I think a lot of people are, I, I know I didn't realize is, first of all, you know, the, they only take the, tense, the census once every 10 years. Right. And it is a big part of, uh, you know, what could be, especially with uh, economic reform is, you know, uh, if we're not up to date on the census, which is really hard to do, is, you know, so much of government spending starts with how many people live in each area, you know, and that's a big part of it. So if people do hear this and, you know, you, you haven't registered yet, it's important that you do so um, because, you know, it, it is a part of, of you know, local funding. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the census in itself, which I don't think many people realize is important. Um, and, and in terms of voting, I mean, uh, you know, we're going to open up, obviously, at Amway on October, uh, all the way to November 2nd. Um, we have a couple of days where, uh, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, actually FRC is going to come over and go into Paramore, and we're going to try to help people from Paramore uh, come and vote. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. And, and, you know, with the pandemic going on, I think in-person voting is a little scary for some people. So hopefully this will be an alternative. Coach, so, as you look back at, at what the team accomplished in the bubble, what are your thoughts, uh, you know, as you've had a, a little bit of time to reflect on what the team did there at the, the Disney wide world of sports? You know, I, I thought we did fine. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I like the way that we practiced, you know, when we first got there, um, it was a it was a big challenge, you know, for the players. Actually, as a coach, as a coaching staff, it was in, in totally different than anything else I've ever been through. You had a short period of time uh, where we could do things five on five, which made it, uh, you know, different. We practiced actually almost almost a hundred percent differently than we did a normal training camp. Um, so that was different. I thought our guys handled it well. Um, you know, the injury started right away, you know, game two, seeding game number two, you know, J.I. went down, which was, uh, even for me, you know, you guys have been around this league for a long time. Injuries are a big part of our game. And, you know, what you learn is, is that the NBA is a game of adaptation and change. And when somebody goes down, you can't, you can feel badly uh, for yourself, for them, for your team, but you can't spend time dwelling on it. And I can't, I can't, I can't have to be honest, even for me, year 20, it took a little bit to get past that one. He had worked so hard. Uh, and obviously you could see that potentially, you know, what a positive impact he could have made on our team. So that was a hit. Um, then MCW's injury, which obviously he's a significant part of our team. And then, you know, Aaron Gordon's injury, uh, you know, which just put us in a, in a different place from a talent standpoint. And yet, you know, one thing I, I – and I, I feel good about this team. I think one thing that we've established over two years, uh, there's a few things, but one of the things is our guys understand that if you play well, you can give yourselves a chance to win. And if you practice the right way, you can play – you give yourself a chance to play well. And we got better. You know, we got better. Uh, you know, Gary Clark did a good job, and James Ennis did a good job, and we hung in there. Um, 
And, you know, I've watched all those bubble games again. I just started the other day. And, uh, you know, really, except for the, the game against Brooklyn, game seven, which was meaningless, you know, we played well. We could have beaten Philly. We should have. We made mistakes. The Boston game, we were one block out away from winning. Um, and actually, I think we, again, we, it wasn't great, but we, we actually competed at a high level um, despite the injuries against Milwaukee. Cliff, were you surprised how, how a lot of people thought going into the bubble that the, the basketball wasn't going to be great, that the quality was going to be great? It, it's, it really has been top-notch from the moment the bubble started, wouldn't you say? I wouldn't agree with that. No, I, I, oh. I mean, I think, the okay, offense, that's... yeah, no, no. I mean, I just think, look, I, I mean, I thought at the beginning, I didn't think it was at a high level at all. I think it is now because one of the things that's happened is uh, because of the setups there um, and because there's no travel, I, I think that the no travel thing is a, makes a big difference. I think the other part that's made the playoffs more parity in the playoffs is that there's no home court advantage. You know, look at Miami. Miami's played great. And, you know, the moves they made right before the trade deadline to get Crowder and Iguodala, you can see it's made them much more balanced, you know, much more of a playoff team. But again, as well as they've played, you know, they didn't have to go to Boston and win a game. They didn't have to go to Milwaukee and win a game. And it makes a big, big difference. I, George, to me, the offense has been better because, like, we're like most teams. We weren't, you know, nobody worked on their defense those first two or three weeks. Guys are in the bubble. Um, everybody's concerned about how much can you push them, how can we get them energized. They hadn't practiced for a long time. Everybody's worrying about conditioning. So I think we're like most teams. We shot and we played five on five. And the details defensively, to me, didn't really start to take over until like those fifth, sixth seeding games. So I think people scored a lot more. I didn't think the defense was good at all. Um, and then once you get into playoffs and it was every other day and guys are locked in and they're not traveling. So I, I, I think the playoff uh, overall play has been really high uh, and it's been a, it's been a good buildup. Clip, I know you, um, you hold uh, Eric Spolstra and uh, um, and the and the Frank Vogel um, in high regard. Uh, you think a lot of those guys. What's been your take so far as we get to the NBA Finals with Miami and LA? They're meeting each other. What's been your biggest takeaway of what those teams have done, those coaches in particular, um, to get to this final to the final two? Well, first of all, and this is really true of all the teams, uh, it's every year, usually, they're balanced. You know, they play well on offense and defense. And what's interesting is, is it, it's really become, our league has become uh, where there's more ways, we're, we're doing more things defensively, too. You know, there's more different coverages, uh, Miami's util utilization of the zone. Um, has been a big part of their success. Um, so just like offense, you know, people always talk about offense starts with, you know, how you utilize your best players. And now I think also because teams are playing so much offense and players have improved so much individually off the dribble, 
uh, and high IQ teams are much – like I, the one thing that stands out to me as I'm watching is uh, – and we're having conversations, obviously, you know, with Jeff and John and, and everybody about – one thing is dumb mistake players never, never work in the NBA. You know, the difference is, though, because we're playing five out and we're more concept – uh, organized, you know, or it's more flow basketball versus set plays is guys that aren't smart players now that are just not good at playing basketball. You know, those guys are not playing in these games. These teams are smart. And, you know, you look at a guy like Iguodala, right, who's obviously physically not what he was even three or four years ago, yet look how valuable he is in these games because he's always been super high IQ and his decision-making when he catches the ball is so good. Uh, and Crowder's the same way, you know, and they both, they both can really defend. So I think that part has stood out in terms of, um, you know, what they've done. They're both so different, you know, you, you know, they're playing differently. One thing Miami does, Miami runs a lot more different types of offense than the other teams. Like, none of us had as much offense in uh, because of the nature of how we had to have training camps as you normally would. But they have built their offense up. And to me, in the playoffs, it's a big deal. Because unless you just have incredible talent on the floor, to be able to say, hey, guard this and try to do this, as you know, Jeff, for 48 minutes, teams get into rhythm on defense too, you know. Miami has more variety of offense, actually a lot more than the other teams have. Denver's the other one. Denver runs a lot of offense, but their injuries really limited how much they put in. Um, and they did a phenomenal job to get there. Uh, but the Harris injury where he didn't play much in the seeding games. Uh, and I think integrating Michael you know, Porter into a bigger role, they didn't run as much offense. And then I think with, with Frank, it's, you know, what he's done a great job of is getting those other guys to play with a comfort level around AD and LeBron. And then also I think it's been his decisions on who he's played at the center position. And I think that's going to be a big part of this series is like, for instance, Dwight, you know, didn't play right in a couple of the series. And there was a huge part of the Western Conference uh, final series. And now it's going to be, you know, can he match up, for instance, with Adebayo, who's going to play not outside the three-point line, but plays on the perimeter more. Uh, you know, and Dwight can do that, but it takes away his greatest defensive strength, which is basket protection. And if not, will they then have to play Anthony Davis more at the five, you know, where then they'll have more skill on the floor. I do think that when the, when the Lakers are big, uh, you know, we did this against them in the regular season. When the Lakers are big and they're playing a legitimate center with Davis at the four, you know, the Miami zone, and I think how well the Lakers play against the zone will be a big part of the series. Well, if you just mentioned uh, the zone defense and uh, against uh, our ball club, you guys have performed really well against their zone in the last two years, but they gave Boston all kinds of problems, their zone defense. Uh, I'm wondering why that is, and how do you think that zone defense will, will work against the Lakers? You just addressed part of it, I think, but 
Um, why, why have we had success? Why did Boston struggle? And your thoughts on what the Lakers are facing? Well, we've, we've been good against the zone overall, David. Like, I think, I think this year we were top three or four in zone offense efficiency. It was like one of, one of the best things we did. And to be put it simply, Vooch and Aaron Gordon playing in the interior and both screening and cutting and then using their passing has been a big part of it. Actually, the other guy, Kim Birch, is really good against the zone. So when he's at the five playing with Aaron – or even in the bubble, when we played him and Booch, and Booch played more at the four, that was one of the things I liked that happened for us is I wish I would have figured this out in the regular season. I was trying to play them together, but I was having Kim have play the four offensively. And in the bubble, we switched it, and it was very effective. You know, Kim can guard fours, and it makes it bigger. But, you know, Booch can play two smarts, he, and so playing him at the four – but I think the ability of those two guys, particularly Aaron and Booch, to make plays, they're passing, getting the ball in the middle, playing in pick and rolls, uh, you know, is a big part of it. And then I, that's what I think of for the Lakers is, for instance, LeBron, if you go back to our game in L.A., you know, the, our zone hurt them in the first half, and then Frank made the adjustment of playing LeBron at the high post using his passing, his ability to ISO against bigger players. And they were more effective in that game by not playing with a center, you know, by playing all shooting on the floor so they could spread the zone out. So I think, again, uh, how they match up with Adebayo, um, and then that also, obviously, at the other end of the floor, if they're smaller with Davis, they'll have a better zone offensive team on the floor, too. If you mentioned Dwight Howard earlier, no one knows Dwight more than you. Uh, what, what, do you what can you tell people about the way he works on his craft or maybe behind the scenes that, that people wouldn't know? And, and what are you seeing different from Dwight right now with the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, I think the best thing that he's done over, over time is, it's, you know, look at him. It's, it's what he's done with his body, you know, physically. Um, I think that he's learned uh, – like he eats a lot differently than he did when he was young. Um, you know, his lifting, his stretching, um, you know, he's, he's, he understands that if he's going to be able to keep playing, which I think he badly wants to do, then, you know, like a lot of guys, as he goes older, he had to take better care of himself. And he puts a lot into that. And I think that's why he's able to play at a higher level now. You mentioned Aaron Gordon as well. Cliff, what's in store for him? What, what are some of the conversations you'll have with him over the next few months? And, and what's the, what, what's, what do you need him to do for you next season? Well, the disappointing thing is, is, you know, if you look at from the all right before play stoppage, in my opinion, that's the best basketball he's ever played. Uh, the last, I believe, 14 or 15 games before, you know, before we stopped, um, he was at – I think like 9.1 rebounds a game, shot almost 35 from three, shot like 48 from two, but he was almost seven assists a game, like 6.7 assists per game. And, you know, it was playing in transition, playing faster. We played faster and he was a big part of it and it helped him and it helped us uh, passing out of the post. You know, we posted him more and he was doing a good job ball and making decisions out of the post 
or when you got the matchup, not shooting as many turnaround jumpers and, you know, just pounding people uh, with power moves. And, uh, you know, actually the Indiana game, the game before he got hurt in the bubble, we didn't play well. But if you go back to that, you know, they were smaller. And, uh, you know, his post-up game against, you know, the, like the T.J. Warren matchup, you know, because he just used his strength and quickness and he was shooting, you know, little jump hooks and layups and getting fouled. So that was the disappointing part because um, I felt like he was playing well. And he's got to build on that. The, the number one thing, as you guys know, is – is that if he could ever get to 37, 38 from three, it would be a different game for him. Um, in our league, and he knows this, I talk to him about it all the time, you know, a basic tenant of offense is spacing. And it's the biggest difference between the NBA game and every other level of play. In the NBA, guys are smart. What's your spacing? It's your shooting. They guard you to where you can shoot from. That's it. And, you know, 34, 35, even 36 from three, we don't guard guys out there either. So if you're on the floor and they don't have to guard you out to the three, there's less room on the floor for Markel Fultz and Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross and, and everybody else. And he can really play and pass off the dribble, and it doesn't matter if they don't have to close to him. And so – to me, there's nothing more important than, you know, he always takes care of himself. He's a very diligent worker. Um, but if he could consistently get to 37, 38 from three, it's a different world. Cliff, I'd like to get your take. You and I have had this discussion, but there's, there's a lot of talk when you watch the broadcasts and, you know, particularly during some of the early games when, uh, Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy were talking about all of the contested threes that get called for fouls and why that is a bad thing. It was as many threes as were taken in the NBA game. Will that change? Will you, you know, you don't close so hard maybe. Will that be a coaching point in the future for teams? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, if you look at the numbers, <laughs> it's – it's funny you said that. So of, of the projects that I have guys working on, you know, one of the projects for uh, one of the video guys is they're making me an edit of every foul jump shooter uh, outside the three and on pull-ups in the playoffs. And then I'll sit down and I, to I already told the staff, we had a staff meeting yesterday. That's going to be, you know, next year, the first meeting is usually like this, is how we practice. That's what they're going to see because it's a killer. And I think it's a, it's a couple of things, though, Jeff, in my opinion. And, and I think you would see this, you, you know, from years of playing. There's a lot of things that are, that, are, that are much more challenging defensively now. Like, there's just possessions out there. I think that's why the zone, like, the zone helped us, you know. And, and we've got to get more comfortable with it. Because there's just possessions when you play oh, Boston, you play Miami, you play the Lakers, the Clippers, Denver. There's possessions where you can watch it and say, guess what? There's just not a thing you can do right there. You know, like, you know, you watch Dallas play is when they're playing, you know, Kleber at the five, you know, with all those other guys, and they're playing five offensive players or Porzingis at the five, Kleber at the four. They do things that if you're honest with yourself – it's nothing you could do in a film session to say, what are we doing? You know, this is your, the, your helping here. This is, 
It's just there's so much skill on the floor, it's not guardable. Or, you know, Mark Jackson said, right, good defense, better offense, okay? And that's what our league is getting to. At the same time, in my opinion, and this is Boston's biggest strength, and it's what Crowder and Iguodala have done for Miami. You know, it, they've made them a better defensive team because they can guard their guys better, you know, and you can't play many guys now that can't make individual defensive plays, and you have to be smarter. There's many, many more decisions you make on what you're talking about. What's the cushion against this guy? Knowing what he likes to do, and then much more pressure when you're the help defender in rotations. There's so many more decisions to be made. But I will say this. You can't foul. You can't foul. Like, as smart as our players are in this league, I think it's crazy. I think we don't, we don't have as much time now to spend on individual defense. I think the decision-making, even for the great players, some of those plays are just crazy. And it's the lack of discipline. It's not even close to say fouling a three, there's nothing worse you can do defensively. Not, it's not even close. There's nothing. Let him shoot a layup. Let, you know what? If you're going to foul a guy in a three-point shot, just we, we could have a call. You know, open. Let him catch it, drive it, let him dunk it. It's a better play. It's not even close. It's a better play. And all these fouling on jump shooters, I mean, look, not fouling, rebounding, taking away fast break baskets. I mean, some of the things will never change in basketball. You have to have penetration on offense, and you have to do the things on the other parts of the game uh, so you're not beating yourself. Fouling is a dumb play. It's a dumb play. And it takes discipline and technique. And, you know, I, our coaches, we, we've been good at it. We weren't as good in the bubble. And I can tell you this. Whenever we start again, it's, we're going to start next year, day one, and we're going to spend more time on it. You can't be – it's a killer. It's a killer, you know. Cliff, does your does your you you mentioned when we start again? Does your off season, you know, you have these projects? Does it change not knowing when next season is going to start, or or you just you're doing what you normally do in your off time? Yeah, no, we're just starting now, though. No, it's it's much different, George, because just like with you guys, there's no clarity. Right. You know, we Jeff will tell you when you're a player, depending on how old you are, you know, hey, by July 1, I want to be doing this. By August 15th, I want to be here. Usually September after Labor Day, everybody comes back. They start playing five-on-five. Five. We can do some optional workouts. Vooch and I just had this talk the other day, and it's hard for the players to gauge. And we're, we're just starting to get – I'm just starting to talk to guys. Like Aaron Gordon, you know, I sent him a text this morning, you know, give me a call today. I've talked to – a bunch of guys in the last couple of days and it's hard because you know you know the way it was before you have a good idea you could watch a guy in July and say he's good and then another guy maybe like tell bring him over and say you better have a good August or you won't be ready because you know you don't want to be in a situation where um you know guys are playing catch-up right before training camp and our guys are good with that. Um, the other piece of that, again, with a roster like ours, you know, we have a lot of free agents this year. Right. So it's harder for those guys, too, because, you know, nobody even knows right now. We don't know when free agency is. 
So they don't have a team. They can, you know, they're more than welcome. As Jeff Waltman's great, and he always tells them, you're still with us, you know, until something else happens, and they can come and work out. So um, we have, like, uh, you know, Chief is in working out. J.I.'s in every day getting treatment. And, uh, you know, we'll have guys start to come in, I would think, in the next couple of weeks. Are these guys better at responding to you than they are to George? Would you say overall? <laughs> I hope so. For our sake, I hope so. Well, let's put it this way, Dante. When I say meet me in my office, I don't end up having the meeting with him in my car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I don't control many things. I control the office. <laughs> I have no control. This is my life. I have no control over anything. Will it, will you, can you go back in for dinner, George? Will you be let back in for dinner? I'm just going to go run errands when this is over. I'm just going to start it up. and, and uh... You know what this kind of reminds me of, though? You guys have seen the movie The Breakup, right? Yeah. When poor Vince Vaughn goes in and, the, and his brother-in-law beats him up because they're having the, uh, you know, they're having the choir in, uh, in yeah, uh, right. his, uh, bedroom. So. George, I'm just saying, when you go in there, don't be confrontational and walk, uh, knock on the door quietly. Yeah, so I'll know, ring the bell. Right. I'll ring the bell. Sneak yeah. in there. You don't need to be attacked like Vince no. Vaughn was. That's no. right. <laughs> hey, Cliff, I look, at your, I look at your industry. You've always said how difficult it is to be a coach in professional sports, and, and you, know, you always point to the soccer world and the NFL. And there's nine – when it's all said and done, there will be – as of now, there will be nine NBA vacancies that will have to be filled. There's six open right now. Three have already be filled. I, nothing surprises you anymore in the NBA, but have some of these names surprised you? Is, is it surprising at all what's happening right now? Or Doc Rivers not being with L.A. and a guy that you're close with in, in Brett Brown in Philadelphia, Mike D'Antoni. What do you make of all these vacancies? Yeah, I just think it's, it's the, the of, of coaching pro sports, you know, and uh, it's uh, – yeah, look, you know, it's it's one of the things that you learn as a coach. I mean, look, Mike D'Antoni in Houston, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, same thing. I mean, great coaches, uh, you know, they had very successful seasons. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's two parts of it. Three, actually. One is this, okay? Like for me, I have a great life. Great life. I mean, great life. Uh you know, doing what I love and at the highest level, working with uh, the best players in the world. I mean, things that I never dreamt uh, that I would experience and uh, I'll remember forever. Uh, and yet, there's no job, in my opinion, uh, and, and people forget this sometimes, is you're never going to like everything about your job. It's just not going to happen. And to me, what I choose to do is, as I've gotten older, is I choose to, you know, think about the good things. So you lose three in a row and, you know, you have to stay with your plan, your process, you know, the way that you feel you can be the best coach, announcer, you, you, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, is because it always works this way, is playoff success is everything in the NBA. I mean, I experienced that as an assistant. Um, it's just the way it works, and it's fair, you know. So, you know, I went to Houston with Jeff. They hadn't been in the playoffs for a number of years. Um, we made the playoffs the first year. You know, everything's great. We make the trade for Tracy. 
you know, uh, we had three years. We won 52 of them, 50 and two of those. The West back then was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're playing – we had a starting lineup of uh, Rafer in his prime with – think about this. McGrady at the two, Battier at the three, Jawan Howard at the four, and Yao Ming at the five. So you have two first ballot Hall of Famers. Rafer Alston, I think you guys agree, one of the most underrated winning point guards of his time. Battier, who's the ultimate winner, right? And Jawan Howard, who's offensive efficiency for his career is through the roof. And we were at best the fourth best team in the West because that was San Antonio in their prime, Dallas in their prime, and Nash with Mike in Phoenix. They were in their prime. Well, that's 12 out of your 82 games. So we won 52 out of those three years, but we never won a first game series. We, you know, we lost two game sevens, you know, one at home and you get fired. It's the way that it works, you know, come here with Stan. They hadn't won a playoff series, I think, for 10 or 11 years. We won the first year, then the finals, then the Eastern Conference finals. So then what happens is, you know, the goalposts move, expectations are super high. You know, you, you lose a first round series the next year and all of a sudden you're on the hot seat the next year and we get fired. It's just the way that it works. And so I think that you're never surprised. I'll be honest, the doc one blew me away. Right. To me, that, that's, of all of them, that one's like bizarre, crazy, you know. But again, it's just like, uh, like you never know. Um, and then the third one is this is why, I, I know people get, uh, people don't like this when you say this, but this is why when you coach, what you learn, and I don't care what level it is, is uh, I got this from my dad, and, it, and it's true, is there's two things about it. If you, wanted, if you, wanted, if you want to uh, coach, you better be somebody that self-reflects, and there's two things about it. Watch the film carefully. That tells you if you did a good job that night or not. It's not what somebody says. It's not what somebody wrote or anything like that, all right? And the second one is you need to learn to be able to watch a film and take the right amount of credit and the right amount of blame. And then that's it. And, you know, because you don't know, I don't care if you've watched, it's the hardest thing about coaching. I don't care if you've watched tens of thousands of NBA games. If you're not watching the film, not not to be disrespectful, you don't know what's going on. You don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I heard coach Riley say that a long time ago. And it's so true. I mean, I've told you guys, I make notes after every practice, every game. I have my notes for this year right here. I've been going over them now. After every game, I'll write down the three, four, five things on offense and defense. I think we're key in the game. And many times, many times after I watch the film, I'll be shocked at how wrong I was. Be careful of the strategy. She tells you certain things and other things it doesn't tell at all. Coach, um, I would like to Great ask insight. you about the bubble and what perhaps you, uh, the Magic, the NBA, might carry forward from the experience in the bubble going forward. Uh, are there things that, that are going to come out of this that we're going to see continuing on in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think, David, I, I think probably right now what I'm wondering is that's why the, the, the Vikings-Titans thing to me was disappointing or, you know, alarming a little bit because, like, to, to set up the bubble again the way they did it, I think would be next to impossible. And let's face it, 
the reason we were able to do it, we were at the end of our season. You know, I mean, we played eight games. I mean, I just don't see how you could get 30 teams to go to one place or even when they're saying the regional bubbles. And that to me is more what like baseball and football are doing. You know, you travel a little bit. You know, I, I know there's been talk about, so maybe five teams come here to Orlando for a week or something. You play the other four teams. You take a few days to practice. Then there's another five teams that you meet in Philly and things like that. But I think there's going to have to be an element of travel, staying in hotels, working out the testing. And you can see like baseball, they had some issues, I think, early in the year. But for the most part, it's worked out well. Um, I don't know the particulars. You know, Jeff Weltman would know more than me because he's on those committees. And, and I know I think that's been a part of it. Ultimately, though, you know, what we need is we need to be able to get fans back into the arenas. You know, it's obviously it's a, it's a big part of how we make revenue. Um, and so I think that's, you know, obviously one of the biggest parts of figuring out when it's – uh, prudent for us to start playing again. Steve, I want to go back just real quick to the coaching changes and things like that. And I'm going to throw this at you. you um, a name that keeps getting thrown out for a lot of these jobs is your former boss, Jeff Van Gundy. Now, he hasn't coached in a while, and you talked about it, um, having a great life. He's doing pretty well for himself as a broadcaster and everything. Do you think he has a passion to get back into the head coaching game as much as it's changed? Yeah, I think, you know, as many of you guys may know, he coached the, uh, the basketball USA team two years ago to qualify for the, for the World Cup or Olympics or whatever it was, World Cup. And, um, you know, I went down and watched his, uh, went down and watched his uh, training camp. You know, and, uh, man, he was, you know, I felt like I was back in New York watching him coach Larry Johnson and Sprewell and, you know, those guys. And, uh, you know, he had the great line. I'm not going to tell you which player it was, but this is typical Jeff. See, people don't realize – you see his personality on TV, but he was like this with the players. But they had one player who had played at Duke – who was, I'm going to say this in a nice way, struggling a little bit with their defensive play calls. And Jeff's line was, hey, he'd messed up about three times in a row, and he said, hey, I know you're smart because you went to Duke, okay? So your concentration obviously has got to go up. And we're giving you $27 a day per diem. Come on now, big fella, let's earn the money, okay? Here we go, you know? And that's just, you know, that's just typical Jeff. I mean, he's uh, doing – I mean, I think it's like anything. I mean, I just think it would have to be the right opportunity. You know, I mean, uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's like Stan. They're, they're so similar. He's a great coach. He's ultra prepared. Uh, he's a great communicator with the players. You know, he's obviously so on top of the NBA game, you know, because, you know, he's studying and watching a lot. Um, and he's an elite level coach. So, I think, you know, he has a daughter who's a sophomore in high school. You know, I think it would be, you know, I, I don't think he'd feel great about, about having to, to move her during her high school years. But, uh, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, again, in the right situation, he would do it. 
No, it's interesting. You mentioned the you mentioned the coaching profession. What we've learned as broadcasters is this is the only job we can do, and everyone can do our job. <laughs> That's a comforting <laughs> feeling. That's a very comforting feeling. Hey, Paul is the same way this morning. How about that? Poor yeah, guy. Yeah, that's right. But another guy, you know, you've got a couple guys on your staff that other teams are looking at, too. And Pat Delaney, Steve Hetzel has had NBA interviews. You've been an assistant and then become a head coach. How gratifying is that when guys on your staff start to get looked at by other teams? And how much would you love to see, see Pat have an opportunity or anyone on your staff? Oh, it'd be great. I mean, uh, and, you know, and Ty Corbin's been a head coach, too. Yes. Right. So, you know, Steve um, was a finalist last year. Uh, with the Cavaliers when, when they hired um, John Beeline. And, uh, you know, Pat has interviewed with both the Knicks and the Pacers. Uh, you know, well, yeah, you know, d- during, you know, one before and then one after right. the bubble. Um, and it's great. I mean, it's great for their careers. Um, and, and, and I think those guys are right there. You know, what it takes is it's like anything. You just have to have you know, one president, one GM, one owner have confidence that, that you're the guy and, uh, you know, you'll get an opportunity. All right, last thing, Cliff, I guess, what would you tell Magic fans that, that, that you'll be looking at working with Jeff Weltman in, in regards to this team? Obviously, health is such a big part of this and, and you want to get healthy and there's free agent decisions that, that Jeff and his team will be looking into. But uh, what would you say that the next couple months will, will look like for you as you kind of think about next year in regards to your team yeah I mean you know the every offseason is the same you know obviously I think what fans lock into or everybody does is the external development but uh you know there's also internal development Mm -hmm. you know there's you know how much better can Markel get you know um like I had a long talk with Booch yesterday look Booch in the bubble and then in a playoff series against the best defensive team in the NBA played at an incredibly high level. And, you know, we need him now to come back. So, you know, in two years, he was an all-star one year. And in this year, all-star break on, he played at a higher level than he did last year. And that's what we need from the get-go. Like, he's capable of that. I think he's He's a top three, four center in our league. And the way the game has evolved now, he's made for that. I mean, he plays, his, his decision-making, his skill level, his ability to pass the ball. And again, it was all set up because he spent a lot of time shooting threes, shooting threes. He can score inside. If he shoots, again, 38 from three and shoots seven or eight a game, he puts him in a different place. If you watch Milwaukee, look at the guys that they were rotating to him. He was driving by Giannis, driving by guys like Middleton. He has such a good feel for the game uh, and attacking closeouts. There's not many men his size that can do that. So I think that part of it, the internal development part, Aaron Gordon, you know, what were the things, you know, that he can build on that made him – such a good player. You know, Terrence Ross had another really good year and building on those things, you know, and then, uh, and then the external development part is just, you know, can you get one or two guys um, that can make a difference? I'll give you an example. We went from being our second year in Charlotte. 
you know, we were like 26th or 27th in offense. And, you know, we were 29th and made threes. And it's a tough way to go in this league, right? Mm -hmm. So that offseason, we picked up Batum, uh, Jeremy Lin, uh, Courtney Lee. Well, Courtney we got during the season. Uh, and we went from being like 27th in offense to ninth. Now, you know, Batoon was the big pickup, but Jeremy Lin was a good player. But the biggest difference was our three-point shooting. We went from like 29th and makes to like seventh. And, the, and it wasn't Nick made some, Jeremy Lin made some, Courtney Lee made some. We had Troy Daniels that year as like an 11th man. Mm -hmm. He made some. But the diff biggest difference was we hired Bruce. And Kemba Walker went from 32 from three to 37. It changed his whole career. And Marvin Williams went from being a guy that shot one or two threes a game to five or six. So 60, like, I think eight or 9% of our threes, everybody talked about the moves we made. It was the work they did with Bruce. And we can have the same thing here. You know, get a couple guys that can make our team better in the areas we need. But just as much could be, you know, Mark from three or – you know, Aaron Gordon get to 37, 38 from three. Those are game changers, and that's always a part of it, too. Well, that's great insight, Cliff. We really appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, me and George aren't much for walking, but we can meet you for coffee when you guys are done or something like that anytime. I can drive yeah, there right that, now. We do that, too. We do we have that, our, too. Well, we have our spot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we have a, we'd have to call down there and make sure you guys are welcome, but I'm – you know, we, we spend enough money there, so I think if we ask the nice <laughs> you, you have to sit. We, Jeff and I sit on the outside, so we can spread. We have to sit on the inside, you know, the thing. Look at you through the window. We can do no, that. No, no, no. Just the inside, there's less room. But, I mean, we spread out. Okay, these are, okay. Listen, you got to understand now, these are pretty serious discussions going on. I love it. I bet. I love, I love yeah. Yes. Yeah. You guys yeah. are solving the world's problems. I can't. Well, I've, I've walked part with JT. Of it. That's part, part of it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a brisk walker and he'll, he'll get you going. That's good. That's good. Well, good to catch up with you. Keep up the great work and we'll hope to see you soon. Hey, and the red devils are on today at two forty-five. just so you know, ESPNU. I'll be ready. Dante, if somebody gets a handle, that's two goals. If they get a handle. <laughs> a brace. Right? A, brace. a brace. Damn it. I knew I, I knew I wasn't right. A brace. Handle. Hey, I, 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 I just, uh, I just saw that hashtag free George is trending on Twitter. <laughs> What, what is that all about? I thought, Cliff, I thought when Cliff said he'd have to call, he was going to call my wife to make sure I had permission to go get some coffee. But I thought it was going to happen. You know what's scary is there's a pretty good bet she doesn't know George is out of the house. <laughs> or, or cares. Or yeah, cares. Exactly right. You're welcome to stay here, but I don't want that drama on my hands. So <laughs> good luck. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks all a lot. Right, Appreciate so it. Right, we'll see you. That'll do it for this edition of Magic Pod Squad presented by Kia. This podcast has been presented to you by the all-new Seltos SUV from Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic. Give it everything. We'll see you next time.